Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we got a bunch of stuff to break down, including a couple of tra- uh, trade and a signing as well as some news. Um, if you hear me go on mute during this episode, uh, it's because I am feeling under the weather and I am trying not to cough into the microphone. Um, so I apologize if there's a bit of a lull in audio. Um, Chase... The big news clearly this week, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they've been in the news for a while now um, with Bruce Boudreaux finally make the change, bring in the coaches that everyone knew they were bringing in. Um, but it is official. Bruce Boudreaux is out. Rick Dockett is in, along with a couple of interesting assistants, Sergey Gonchar being one of them. Um, I don't know, like, there's not much. We've, we've talked about this a lot, right? Like, is there a different take you can have than what they did to Boudreaux was wrong and the Canucks rightfully look bad for it? They just got roast. Did you see they tried to blame Friedman? Yeah, Friedman had said that in no specific words that someone related to the Canucks had came to him and been like, this is your fault. Like, how, how do you just lack that much responsibility? Like, there's yeah, there's no like other side of this. This it's ridiculous. I don't understand like why they did it either. I'm pretty sure it's because apparently they didn't have permission to fire him. But like, I read a thing that maybe they had talked to talk it like a month ago already. Like they knew exactly what they were doing. It was just straight up disrespectful. And I'm not sure they could really find another angle than that, right? Yeah, the leading theory was that their ownership didn't want to pay three different coaches at the same time. Um, Travis <laughs> Green is there. Yes, it is. It is, right? Like, but yeah, my take on it is like they kind of knew this summer they didn't really want him back. Like they let him go look for other jobs this summer and then said, Yeah, if you don't want anything, I guess we'll take you back. Like, if that was your feeling, and I get like it was kind of it would have been hard to walk away from him given his insane record last year. But like, if that was your feeling going into things, why did you ever think this was going to work slash yeah, go along with it? Yeah. Move on. It's fine. It's uh, to everybody's professionals. You're, you're allowed to just leave. Yeah. Cause like, sure. You would have taken some heat that summer of like, how did you just let this coach go? That was on a 114 point pace. But that heat during the summer would have been infinitely less than what they're taking now because of the alternative that they chose. Oh, 100%. It would have been like a, in the summer, they would have been taking heat because people thought it's dumb, not because it's just like you're straight up being an asshole to someone for no reason. Yeah, you're straight up making someone's job like a miserable place. Not a miserable, but like not an enjoyable place to go to every day. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't like it, it was really cool seeing the fans at least get to give Bruce a send off. Um, I don't know if you saw that in his final game. It kind of felt like everyone knew it was his final game there, and they started doing the Bruce there it is chance again. And um Which he was cool. on the bench. Yeah, that, that was cool. And like and yeah, I, I don't think it can be explained enough. You know, sometimes when people go like, Oh, this organization, the fans get lumped in. This is not the fans. The fans did not want this at all, and they were the ones leading the charge, being like, What the hell are you doing to Bruce? I saw, uh, I think it was Ray Whitney. Apparently, he had said during their podcast that um, 
half the Canucks fans want to rebuild. Because uh, that's the other thing is like Canucks management has repetitively blamed the fans, been like, oh, they won't tolerate this. And yeah, he said, I guess half them want to rebuild. And then he came out and was like, I apologize uh, after I said that. I've been yelled at for days. All, all the fans want to rebuild. Like yeah, any logical fan knows that's what the right thing to do is and should have been the right thing to do since 2014. Yeah. So yeah, the the fans know the fans know what's good. The fans are smart. Respect uh respect them for for what they are. And, and like oh go yeah, go ahead. Well the team's been horrible uh as is, right? Like and the fans are still showing like they have one of the most passionate fan bases in the league. Like if you've sustained that fan base, despite being one of the worst teams in the league the past five years, uh, I mean, they're clearly not going anywhere for a rebuild, especially give them some reason to hope the team has has some decent draft picks and whatnot. Like, I don't know. It seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, that's what I also don't understand is, like, they keep saying, like, I'm sure ticket sales will dip a little bit. Like, it's not like every market is New York and Toronto where it's an auto sellout night one for all 41 home games but like yeah this is one of the most passionate fan bases in the league despite having nothing to cheer about for the past like decade almost other than one playoff round in the bubble yeah one and let's be honest pretty fraudulent playoff round on the back of thatcher demko which god bless demko can't take it away from or anything but it's not like this team has ever been a contender at any point in the past decade no, and even in that bubble season, it's not like they were, like, absolutely tearing up the league or anything like that. Like, they were lucky to be in the second round and, and take Vegas to seven. Yeah, 100% they were. It was just Demko going off, which, I mean, happens, but. Yeah, so, um, but, and, and that's the other thing is I don't really understand the solution to this of bringing in Rick Talkin. Apparently, they have to bring him in. Like, there's just so many layers of this fucking onion. Like, the, apparently the reason they want to bring Rick Talkett in is because he's more of a mean, you know, nose to the grindstone kind of guy, and they want to reel JT Miller in. If you need to reel the guy in, you just gave $50 million to, and his contract hasn't even kicked in. What the fuck were you paying him for? Yep. Yeah, it makes that look. And the sad part is you probably do need to reel JT Miller in, given the way this season's gone. I've never seen someone do such a heel turn from like everyone, like the big reason when he signed, everyone's like, well, he's just such a character guy in the room. We absolutely couldn't leave him. He's the heart and soul of this franchise. Like, you know, he, he's the leader there. And then everything he's done this year, it's like, dude, what on earth are you doing and saying right now? Like you seem miserable and making everyone else miserable. God, I forget where I saw this. It was just like the classic mainstream stuff i'm pretty sure but we're only like a year removed from people saying there's only one player worth building around and on the canucks and he's jt miller meanwhile elias Pettersson existed there the entire time yeah because yeah just a year ago miller was on the 99 or had 99 points and, and Pettersson wasn't healthy yep and so it, was, uh, it was always a stupid take yeah, Turns yes. out the uh the 24 year old elite prospect who's killed the NHL at a young age is uh is better long term than the uh the winger on a bit of a PDO heater who's about to turn 30. I'm it's I'm shocked. It's crazy too because they this team could be in such a good but like they keep saying, oh, we don't want to rebuild, we don't want to rebuild. This team could be like one of the prime candidates to do the retool properly if they would have just made the right decisions 
and traded JT Miller, um, Bo Horvat. Like they better trade Bo Horvat. They kind of have to now. And also Brock Besser when they're at their peak of their value. Yeah. And you know, Kuzmenko is the fourth person you mentioned you could talk about, which we can get to in a sec, but you're getting a first round pick for him without blinking. And he's the fourth most valuable trade chip they had that they've now. Well, they haven't butchered the uh, Horvat thing yet, but they may. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, yeah, like if you trade Besser before this season, you're probably getting a first for him. At very worst, you're getting a second or very a solid prospect. Um, yeah. yeah, like JT Miller at the deadline last year would have gone for at least a first round pick. Maybe you could have even probably asked for more because he had two uh, two trade runs or like two playoff runs on his contract technically because he's still under contract this year before it kicks in. You're um, probably getting two firsts or a first and the other team's best prospect kind of thing for him last deadline. Yeah, Bo Horvat, you're getting a first probably at this deadline. And yeah, Kuzmenko, again, if you're not getting a first, you're getting a second and third and then a really solid prospect or something. Like, they would have been in prime position to have like just a ton of picks and reloaded to to try and, you know, take a dip for a year or two and then get be, be good in two years when Pedersen is still at least 25, 26. Yeah, exactly. They could have, and like I said, the the one thing the organization has going for them, um, people used to always give Benning all the credit for this, but I think they've done pretty well without him. Pretty good at drafting, not like amazing or anything, but you give a decent drafting team all those picks, good things will happen. And yeah. uh, they they didn't do that. No, they decided not to. So I I don't really know. I. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And then, yeah, so all that happens. I mean, again, like, I don't really understand why you bring Rick Talkin in because you should be wanting to tank this year, too. Like, Rick Talkin, to me, I don't think he's an amazing coach, but, like, just let whoever the assistant coach is be the coach for the rest of the year as you go 18 wheeler off a cliff for this thing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing there. 14 points back of the Flames, and the Flames are fifth in their own division. There's nothing to salvage. No, and like, yeah, like, what are you trying to, like, you should be actively going for Bedard this year. Even if you think you can rebound next year. Okay, hire Rick Dockett next year then. Yeah, because like, the fact that they aren't is insane because there's a prospect so good in this draft that your rebuild is over the second you draft him as long as you have some competent pieces around, which the Canucks obviously fit that. Like you have Bedard and Pedersen, you're good. Rebuilds over. <laughs> Start yeah. trying to be competitive again. Yeah, you can easily build around a 24 year old Pedersen, 18 year old Bedard, and 23 year old Hughes, and a 26 year old Demko. Yeah, a hundred percent. You probably have to get a little creative on the blue line, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there, there's still be moves to be made, but yeah, like it's that is the piece that at least puts you much closer. It's like you should be doing everything you can this year. To go get that piece, even if it means you need to add in a couple of years again. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like the top of this draft is franchise altering, and the fact that they're picking this season of all to try to scrape out a wild card, a ninth place or whatever they're after birth is crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I don't get it. Um, give me your thoughts on the Kuzmenko contract. Let's go just as like an on ice value. You know, I think we both agree it would have made way more sense to trade him 
um, in terms of off, like that's just what the logical decision probably should have been, but on ice seems like a pretty fair deal, right? Yeah, I completely agree. I'd trade him without, uh, without blinking, but I saw some people dunking on the contract. I actually think it's a pretty decent one. I haven't looked super heavily into his underlying numbers, but I know he's on pace for like 50 points. Yeah, he's like, he's got a, on a huge PDO bender, but also his underlying numbers are good too. So like, I mean, you've got an oh, above yeah. average, call him a good second line player. You're happy to pay 5-5 five, five for that. Yeah, I mean, 50 points is way under something. He's on pace for 75. So even yeah, if that he- makes sense. Yeah, like you take away that shooting bender and he is a 50, 55 point player. Yeah, you pay $5.5 million for that all the time. So, yeah, without blinking. And he has like decent defensive numbers and like he's a good offensive play driver and stuff too. Like there's there's very few things not to uh, not to like there. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that the two year term too, I mean, it walks into UFA, which isn't very ideal for a Canuck standpoint. But I will also say, at least with the two year term, it's something that you could probably flip as early as next year if you really still wanted to. I would think so. I would be shocked if you couldn't get something pretty decent for him at next year's deadline too. do the classic, like retain half or whatever. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Especially if he repeats what he's doing this year, next year to like a, a certain degree, obviously again, like let's say he's on pace for 60 points next year and has good underlying numbers. Again, if you eat half of that and be like, yeah, we're, we'll give you Kuzmenko at $3 million for the next two playoff runs. Like that to me, seems like, the exact type of player more teams should be doing that Tampa two first round pick kind of trade for, you know, a hundred percent. He'd be the perfect candidate for that. And so, and, and again, and maybe you don't flip him next year, but then the year after he's at least still UF or pending UFA and you can get something for him. But I heard online that like the biggest reason they did this was to try and keep Pedersen happy. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I also don't know if there's just anything that can keep Pedersen happy enough to stay in Vancouver at this point. Well, that's the thing. Um, maybe it is. There's no way to know that without better better sources than we have or whatever. But, yeah, like, what are the odds that actually is the thing where he's like, now I'm thrilled to be here. That's the swinging point where it's like, I was going to leave, but now I'm staying. It's like, well, you're staying and you just have one more second-line player on your team, but your team's still isn't good. Yeah, and, I mean, if that is what really makes him happy, God bless, God bless him and everything, but I would be shocked if 24-year-old Elias Pedersen's like, that's all I need. Yeah, and like, I know they're friends or whatever, but yeah, it, it's, yeah, exactly. Like, it's, I can't imagine the French, like, winning should be more important, I'm sure it is more important than, than, you know, playing with his buddy. Oh, I would 100% assume that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know, they're... Uh, a bit of a mess, you know, like, oh, a complete mess. I'm, it's funny too, because they're a mess in the way of like, it's still, I don't even think this team is that bad of a future in terms of if they were willing to rebuild it to the studs, they could still do a fine job. Oh, I would think so. They like, they're not in as good a position as they would have been two years ago if they started, but even the idea, like, it's not like, like they have JT Miller is probably the only long-term contract you really don't. I oh yeah, it's got four more years, I guess. Yeah, but even, but, even like T- Tyler Myers is up ne- after next season. Yeah, that's fine. And even the OEL one, say it takes you two or three years, mini rebuild, you can dump the final year of that when you're going for it, anyways. 
Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, like it's not like they're in a position where on paper they're just absolutely screwed long term. It's just they need to convince their owner that they should rebuild. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, good luck with that from given everything we've seen, right? So. What a team. Yeah, they're they're like the Sens level of like 2018 Sens level of like laughing stock in the league at the moment. Oh, yeah. Like they've dominated the news cycle for the past three weeks. Yeah, for no reason. No, and um, their own doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it reminded me of the old weird send stuff where it felt like everything went wrong every couple of weeks because it's not like, like it's it's their fault. It's just entirely stupid things done on their end. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, back with the sends, it'd be Melnick would randomly hop on a leaf station on a Wednesday and be like, no, we're actually really <laughs> good. It's like, yeah. Whereas, yeah, it's just like, same with this. It's just like, some of the press conference comments from Jim Rutherford, it's just like, what is going on here? Where it's like, yeah, no, we're not rebuilding, but this is going to take a lot longer than I thought. Yeah, It's just like, A, what did you think originally? And B, what do you think rebuilding is? <laughs> That's the worst part, too. Like, they could get this out. Like you said, they could have got this over within like three years. But no, now it's just... God, I don't even know how long it's going to last now. Well, and like, because that's the thing. It's like, what do you do to actually rebuild this team as a contender now? You know, maybe you get, you got to get draft lucky. Obviously, that's the biggest thing. Um, But, you know, even so, let's say they sell Horvat. Like, literally, it's just, it's one of those things where I don't, you either need to get extremely draft lucky with multiple picks over the next two years to where, Elias Patterson is either the best player on this team, but not by much, or not the best player on the team. Or, like, the best way to become a cup contender might have to be in two years you're selling Patterson. Yeah, which is which is pretty freaking tough. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it starts with ownership, though, is the problem, right? Like, you know, yeah. I don't think Jim Rutherford slash well, and the funniest thing is Rutherford's not even the GM, it's Patrick Alvin. But you know, I don't think those two have done a particularly good job. But also it's the classic thing in Ottawa with Pierre Dorian, too, where it's like, well, we don't really know how high his hands are slash work. And that's the thing. It's not the first team where we've heard first time we've heard ownership meddling with it. Like we know that's a thing, so I have no idea oh, yeah. how to weigh that. Yeah, the Aquilinis have openly came out and be like, no, we want two games of playoff gate every year. We don't care if yeah. it's more. Like, we don't care if it's less or more. We just yep. don't want less. Which would be a horrible thing to have to work through. Yeah, exactly. Like you're just you're trying to build your team to be the 15th best team in the league, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I. it's just not efficient at all. And, and you know, it'll be... Interesting to see what they do at the deadline. I think Horvat, is, like especially with this Kuzmenko, they just don't have the cap space to resign all that. So, no, you'll you, be off somewhere, which is thing. Yeah, literally, you'll be off somewhere, which is fine. I, I don't like. I think moving away from Horvat, given the next contract he might get, is not even the worst call in the world. It just looks weird given the last three, four moves they've made. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um. All right, let's get to. You see, Ben Harper signed a two-year extension. Wow, where's he even playing? 
the Rangers. He's like an everyday defenseman for him apparently right now. Jesus. 780K. He's like one of the worst players in the league. Not shocking. He has been one of the worst players in the league. Every day he's a a bit aggressive. He's got 18 games played this year, but. Still, that's probably about 17 more than is necessary. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah, I'm pretty sure he just signed a two-year, one-way, 780K deal. Hmm. Which is hilarious. Like just more than league minimum, too. The Rangers love the most obscure defensemen. Yeah, like I'm sure every team has kind of one of these or whatever. And like the rate for the Rangers, it doesn't really matter because if they waive him, they don't care about paying a one way deal. No. On um in the AHL, that's only the that's the difference between one way and two way. It doesn't matter about like waivers or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just like it comes back to like what did like what did GMs do during the day? Because it's like what where on this is your priority list where it's like we gotta get Ben Harper signed to two years. Yeah, like how does that come up? Is, yeah, how like, does that become a must? Literally, and like how bored must have you? Like, are you not doing trade deadline preview? Maybe, maybe they've already done their preview, and they're like, "We know who we want to go get. We just got to see if we can get them." Let's go sign Ben Harper. I'm bored. But like, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I just don't get it. I, I genuinely don't understand how that stuff comes up in this point of the season. The summer, again, I wouldn't sign Ben Harper. But if you're like. Yeah, like we need to re-sign our tough seventh defenseman or whatever. We want to give him a two-year deal, 780K. How's that sound? Sure, I guess. Sure. But on January <laughs> That's what 26th, you really want. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I just I don't get it either. So he, um, Again, he must just be an awesome person. Yeah, exactly. Like he has played in the league five more years than I ever thought he would. Yeah, like it was obvious he was cooked a long time ago. He never had it. Yeah. Like, and that's not an offense to him. Like, he just, he was never an NHL-level defenseman. Yeah. He didn't yeah, have the foot speed, he didn't have the smarts, he just, he was big and could punch people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, all right, we did have a trade, a uh, quick, uh, small one, but a uh, trade nonetheless. I think it's probably worth to at least bring up in passing, and uh, I'm getting really excited for the trade deadline. I, I won't lie. I, I doubt anything will happen for another month here because everyone's so capped out, but... Uh, I'm really getting excited at the idea of a couple people moving. And, and um, last night we got the start of it. Um, the Colorado Avalanche acquired Matt Nieto and Ryan Merkley in exchange for Martin Kout, Jacob McDonald. Um, I don't know, Chase, you, uh, do you have a way to sell me on this deal for San Jose? Because I, I don't get it. For San Jose, I do not. For the Avs, I get it. I like it from the Avs a lot. Um, yep. I think Martin Kout and Matt Nieto are... I think Nieto may be slightly better, but all at the same time, if you want to call him close to a wash, I think that's fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would think that's a pretty reasonable way of looking at that. Jacob McDonald, I know, is a seventh defenseman who isn't particularly good. Ryan Merkley probably won't beat anything, but his upside is at least a second-pair offensive defenseman, which I will take that gamble at least all day over a guy who I just know is going to be a seventh defenseman who, again, can punch people in Jacob McDonald. Yeah, like, it just, I don't get what the potential payoff could possibly be for the Sharks. So that's the like, thing, right? You take Like, those what two is this guys, doing well look like for the Sharks, right? Right. Like, you take those two guys in a fourth-round pick. Sure. Okay, now I understand it. 
you get you get some kind of draft asset. The draft the, the doing well in this trade is you hit on the fourth round pick. Obviously, very unlikely, but very unlikely. Magneto is an impact player on your team, or Ryan Merkley at twenty two. Yeah, Nieto probably doesn't do much, and I mean Ryan Markley has the talent, but it's never been talent that the <laughs> as the reason holding him back. So God only knows how that'll go. Exactly. Like, yeah, like I, I understand again. Like, if, if there's any kind of draft pick, I think I understand this from San Jose in terms of they moved a body out, they got a pick for it, and they had to move a couple bodies in because no one has cap space or roster space to do anything, right? But yeah, from this perspective, it's like, well, congratulations, you got. Two guys who are probably AHL players. I uh since I have have it up and are right now, I just ran Martin Kout's comparables for right now. His closest comparables are about 20 guys who never played in the league. Matt Pumple, who you may remember that never really Sends legend, much. baby. And Nikita Soshnikov, Leafs legend. So, like, Soshnikov's the closest comp for him, and I feel like that sounds about right. Just like a – he can probably play a really bottom six guy, yeah. Yeah. He was but, third line on a rebuilding team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, people only ever cared about Soshnikov because the Leafs sucked that year, and the second they became relevant, obviously, Soshnikov was no longer in the picture. Yeah, when your second most uh, successful comp is a guy who had played 87 games and had 16 points, you're in trouble. That's that's pretty tough. And like Um, we're at the point where he's so far away from his draft year, we we know who he is. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, it's very, very, very unlikely there's some Tage Thompson bounce coming. Yeah. So yeah, I just I yeah I'm glad I wasn't alive. I mean, I don't think I was alive. I saw the. The general consensus of this trade I did see was this is a big win for, or like relatively speaking, a win for the Avalanche. They clearly got the better end of this deal. Yeah, they won this as much as you could ever win a depth trade. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, again, for the Avalanche part, again, not moving the needle a ton, but that's just a small move to help improve the the margins of their team that, you know, in a long playoff run, you might need a guy like that. Yeah, 100%. So, um, all right, let's get on to something else. I was reading an article on Sportsnet from Brian Dixon, Dixon on Sports, uh, and he had NHL power rankings checking in on the job security of all 32 head coaches. Ooh. I have not read this list, but I want to go through this list with you, and we can just kind of give our thoughts if we agree or disagree where people should be. I'll bet you the one with one of the best records in history or winning percentages in history is at the bottom. The, near the bottom. So he goes safest to non-safest. Okay, yeah. So safest coach in the league is the Boston Bruins, Jim Montgomery, 38-5-4. and four. Yeah, that works. Yes. Uh, second safest he has is Rod Brindamore. That also works. I think that makes sense. They've had nothing but success with Brindamore, and they are, they, they are also not at 10 regulation losses yet this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've actually they've been very, very good. Yeah, like which is almost quiet. I think it's just quiet because of how good the Bruins have been. But yeah, like the the Hurricanes not having ten regulation losses. Now they do have eight overtime losses, but um, yeah. so it's a little less impressive, obviously, than the Bruins. But still, uh, again, not shocking. Lindy Ruff, number three. The yep, Devils are work. 31, 12, and four, and only two points behind that really good Carolina team. Yep, this that's, one that works. 
I do find this one interesting, and it has nothing to do with the right team. He has the Toronto Maple Leafs and Sheldon Keith at four. Okay, that's surprising. I mean, any reasonable analysis would suggest that's fair, but I am shocked that he has that. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, like if you just look at this season's work, um, but if you're looking at like just or honestly just like the overall bulk of regular season work, that's fine. But just given how crazy this market is to win a, a um playoff round, and it's already kind of seen like heading into this year, it was kind of like, oh, if they lose again, it, you know, Dubas might be out, but Keith definitely is out or whatever. Like, I'm shocked he's at four. And Again, not nothing Keith could do this year to me would change my opinion on that. It's just simply because people have in their mind, if they do not make it past the first round this year, massive changes need to happen. They must be fired. Yeah, that really shocks me. I mean, like I said, Keith has literally one of the best records in the history of the sport in a winning percentage uh, perspective. Like, there's pretty much no way to argue that he's a bad head coach, but hmm. That's that's really surprising. Yeah, and I do kind of wonder if this is cooking in with power rankings of the team. Like, obviously, you're not going to have the Leafs at 28th in the power ranking just because their coach isn't very, or just because their coach is on a hot seat if they lose the playoffs in yeah, that's months. Fair. But yeah, um, fifth year John Cooper again. Fair. I honestly, I think you could make an argument for Cooper up at one. I was just um, going to say Cooper should probably be one. So, yeah, so I'm kind of looking at this. I'm kind of thinking these are maybe power rankings of the team, and then he's talking about their coaches with it. That could um, be, yeah, because, like, Cooper's got to be the closest thing in hockey to, like, Belichick, where you just yeah. let him go for <laughs> until he doesn't want to because he's just done so much for you, right? Yeah, and the same with, like, Jared Bednar, who's not made it. Like, Jared Bednar should be top five simply because he won the cup last year. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, not a chance. He would have uh, to, like... Yeah, he would have to do some horrific off-ice thing to get fired. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's got six Dallas um, with Pete DeBoer. Yeah, that seems pretty fair. Newly hired. Good record. Yeah. Yeah, it's a um, little higher than I would have expected, but yeah. Winnipeg Jets at seven, 31-17-1 record. Again, that and Dallas are in the lead of the division by like 12 points. Yep. Uh, yep. Seattle New Kraken. higher too, right? Dave Hackstall at eight. This is a good, I love this breakdown. Who's the Kraken's head coach is still most likely the most likely question to trip you up, right? Yep. Anonymous or not, Dave Hackstall has this team driving towards a playoff spot. He's making good on a second NHL crack after he was fired in Philly. So, um, yeah, I, um, I think that's fair in terms of like, yeah, like I don't really, I, if this year went like last year, I could see Seattle making a coaching change. But now that, yeah, they're, Double positive and like on pace for a playoff spot. I don't see them making a change. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things if he, not if, I guess when he makes the playoffs this year, that's security for a while. You did like this year's just been such a po- overwhelming positive for the team that yeah, no other way to interpret that, but great for him. Yeah. Uh, nine New York Rangers and Gerard Gallant. Um, I, this is another one I think is uh, the team's gotten a lot better again. They're 26, 14 and eight and like been real hot recently. So maybe I understand it. We were like six weeks removed from people in New York being like, do they need a coaching change? I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty skeptical of this one. 
I would have I wouldn't have him in like the twenties or anything like that, but probably close to like fifteen. Yes, yeah, somewhere in the middle instead is what I would think. Uh, Bednar's at ten again, low I think, but just in terms of maybe you can't have a team that has fifty points right now higher than tenth in your power ranking. Yeah, I mean, if they like slipped and missed the playoffs or something, maybe you do fire the coach. But yeah, possibly. But even then, like, it's got to be a pretty weird scenario. Yeah, because even where they are now, like everyone has just accepted that it's injuries and nothing else. Yeah. So. And it's obviously is injuries. mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's the right take to have. It's just how like it's so rare you see everyone actually agree on that take. A hundred percent. Uh, the Kings are at 11th. Um, I think that's fair. You know, 27, 17, and 6. Tom McClellan made the playoffs last year. Look like they're going to make it again this year. Seems about right. Yep. Uh, Edmonton's at 12. Jay Woodcroft, 27, 18, and 4. Again, this is one I have lower just because, you know, they, they've improved recently. But if this team makes the playoffs, I don't know how you can justify keeping Woodcroft around. Maybe the counterpoint to that is, he just got hired last year, so it's a way look worse worse look on the GM and Ken Holland's trying to keep his job, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like him getting fired is pretty easy to foresee. Definitely easier than Bruce Cassidy, who's at 13 right here. Oh, God, yeah. He's another like Bruce Cassidy, I think, should be top five in terms of not getting fired. Yeah. Easy. Um, yeah, other than like the cup winning guys and what in the Bruins coach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in the middle here, they have uh, Mike Sullivan, 14, uh, Daryl Sutter, 15, Paul Maurice, 16, Don Granado, 17. So I think that's kind of fair for um, Sullivan and, and um, Sutter just because of how high expectations are for playoffs. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on Sullivan getting fired, but like, I don't know. If you told me one of these years, Pittsburgh's like, we need to make a change, and you obviously can't change the roster at all, the coach is excellent again. Yeah. Yeah, that one would shock me a little bit, but any, like you said, any team where you're like, I could see them needing a change just kind of for change's sake, it's always the coach, so it's yeah. somewhat foreseeable. Uh, Paul Maurice, another one that I think is too high on this list. I would bump him down. Now, again, maybe... Who knows if ownership wants to fire a guy after they just gave him a mega contract one year in, but this team is bad. And if they won the president trophy, like 120 something points last year. First thing that happens in those scenarios is usually the coach getting fired. Yeah. Especially when it's power play and penalty kill. That's bad. Which like is a coaching thing. You know, there's some, there's luck to it as well, but. But yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't fault management for upper management for blaming a coach for that no me either so um and then yeah 17 18 19 they have don granado dean evison and john hines again i don't see the sabers or wild firing their coach that would 17 or 18 feels like a team power ranking more than a head coach power ranking yeah like the sabers like if you go into fire the sabers coach he's like what are you talking about all of the important pieces you've given me i've got nothing but the best out of them yeah exactly and so yeah like i'm just scrolling down this is more yeah. of a team thing but we can do yeah. it by coach anyways just for fun um because it, it does match up let's be honest a lot of the bad teams probably uh, their head coaches kind of on the um on the hot block, seat right 
Um, Hines, again, I, the 19 feels about right for Hines. You know, I don't think he was particularly good anyways, but the team has been so-so kind of underperforming this year. If they miss the playoffs, I could see them being like, oh, we need to switch. I could also yeah. see him staying too. Like, I don't think it's a guarantee he gets fired or anything. Yeah, he seems like a good guy for like 10th last or whatever. Just, eh, they're a mediocre team, mediocre teams. Even if he doesn't necessarily deserve it, I have no idea to be honest, but coaches get fired on teams like that a lot. Yep, uh, 20 Washington Capitals, 21 Detroit Red Wings, 22 St. Louis Blues. I think that seems kind of right. The only th- I think the Red Wings, Lalonde should be higher just because Eiserman's probably not going to fire him after one year. Yeah, and Eiserman's kind of got... That, like, it's a worse look on Eiserman, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, and like Eiserman's the kind of guy that I don't think is getting over, like, pressured by management no. or whatever. I think he has as much power as any GM in the league, so if he hired him, I don't think he's going to be, like, forced into making a change to save his job. Yeah. Uh, Craig, but yeah, St. Louis is at 22. Craig Berube is a guy where, again, if I, St. Louis goes, ah, we actually need to rebuild for a couple of years, I could see them moving away from Berube. Yeah, 100%. Um, same same as Hines. Just coaches of mediocre teams get right, wrongly. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't know specifics on this, but they get fired a lot. Yeah, uh, the Islanders, Flyers, and uh, Canadians are 23, 24, 25. Again, I don't think St. Louis is going anywhere. Um, Tortorella probably isn't going anywhere. I can say they just brought him in, and I think they know they're going to – I mean, uh, maybe they don't know they're going to be bad, but it's kind of obvious they are bad. And Trotz just came out and said he's not doing anything with his coaching. It's on him, I'm pretty sure, like last week. So I don't think Lee Lambert will go anywhere either. Yeah, yeah, that sounds weird, right? Uh, 26 is the Ottawa Senators. I think there's a good argument now with Boudreaux that this could be the number one hot seat in the league. Dorian I was keeps, kind of thinking that too. Dorian keeps giving his seal of approval, and a part of me wonders like, if they're waiting. So the ownership sale apparently started to get going now. Who knows how long it'll take? Um, part of me is wondering if they're trying to wait for an ownership sale before anything gets uh, um, decided. But yeah, like to me, this has to be the hottest seat. The, the team's underperforming. It's not all his fault, but a lot of his, like, there are some decisions where they're kind of mind-boggling. Like, he's choosing to play Nikita Zaitsev in this lineup every night when healthy. So, yeah, that's and like, pretty brutal. I, I could 100% see him being one. Yep. He yeah. plays, like, he's playing Travis Hammond at 20 minutes a night, despite him just being a muffin on the night, on the ice on me. Yeah. Although, like you said, the, uh, the ownership thing would make sense if they're just not trying to do anything rash while they wait for that kind of thing. Yeah, but the thing is, so the other teams that, you know, are on hot seat, quote-unquote, like the other teams that are below them in the power ranking, Chicago, San Jose, um, like Luke Richardson just got hired not too long ago, and Chicago wants to be bad, so they're not going to fire him. Yeah. Um, He reminds me of Detroit's coach, last coach, Blash Hill, where, like, they could probably, he could probably be, have horrible results for a while, but they don't want to win, so seat might not ever get that hot exactly um i'm pretty sure the sharks just hired david quinn this year and again plan on rebuilding i don't think he's getting fired yeah and then you have 29 30 31 32 is vancouver arizona columbus Anaheim. so vancouver just hired a new coach um again arizona wants to be bad i don't think they're going to fire uh andre turney um Columbus, maybe Brad Larson. I, I could see that. And then also, um, um, 
Maybe Anaheim? I could see Anaheim just because, like, even if Anaheim wants to be bad, they've been so embarrassingly bad that you could easily find a way to get fired out of that. And even when they thought they were kind of improving, it was under Dallas Eakins, and they've now stepped back under Dallas Eakins. So I, I could, I, I think Anaheim should actually be one and Ottawa too. Now that, yeah, yeah, because like there is something to be said about, um, like a, a, a some sort of respectability, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like because again, like no one was picking them to be a cup contender this year or anything, but there were a lot of people who were like, oh, they make some like sneaky noise in the West and, and maybe play competitive hockey, quote unquote, into March or whatever, right? Like kind of what Ottawa wanted to do. And they just have not done that at all. They've been impressively bad. Which is probably the best thing long term for them. But oh yeah. But like anytime a team's that bad and didn't think they were tanking, you, you, you can get fired pretty goddamn fast for that. And rightfully so maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, one other piece I want to go through as well. I saw this on The Athletic, and I mentioned it. Trade deadline time's coming up, so it's exciting. There's going to be a lot of content. Uh, this one is from Shana Goldman. Jacob Chitron's trade destination. Seven teams that could and should be interested. I'm going to name all seven teams here. You let me know which one you think makes the most sense and which one makes the least sense, okay? Everyone's fantasy hockey team should want to trade for this guy. Just put yes. that out into the into the universe. All right, so she has listed. I don't know if these are in order of what she thinks should happen or just te- just teams in general. I think it might just be teams in general. But um, L.A. Kings, Edmonton Oilers, St. Louis Blues, Ottawa Senators, Buffalo Sabers, Florida Panthers, New York Islanders, and that is it. I read seven teams quicker than I thought I did there. What do you think of him to Edmonton? I just don't see how they make it work. Yeah, everyone's been like Edmonton's an idiot for not pulling the trigger on that. I I like Jacob Chikrin and all, but like is Edmonton magically good with Jacob Chikrin? Well not well, because like, I yeah, I don't know like what are they moving out to move salary out to make it worth it as well, you know? Because if they can manage to keep like I'm assuming Evan Bouchard or someone's gotta be on their way out then. Yeah, unless you swing it where it's like Barry and picks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just load up on picks and be like, here's Barry and CC or something like that. Like, yeah, here's Barry. You retain enough to make it even. We'll give you our first, second, and third or whatever. Yeah. Probably more. I think that does help the team enough, but like, I don't, like, I would, I would be okay with that trade, I guess, is one of them. Yeah. And like, it'd be fine. I just found it odd that like everyone on Twitter talks about it like it's a match made in heaven. No, to me, the best fit on this list, or just in general, is L.A. Yeah, I like L.A. They have a bunch of good young forwards. You know, they, they're they blue line. They have a ton of right-handed defensemen, but they're one of the teams. Because that's the thing. So Ottawa, everyone keeps bringing up, but he hasn't really played his right side a ton. So it's not like totally sold that he can do it. I had seen a thing that he doesn't actually even play the right side. Do you remember that? Yeah, and like I think that is true in terms of generally speaking. He plays the left more than the right. <laughs> yeah, which then so like a horrible trade for the Sens then. Yeah, or like it has the, you know, maybe he can't play the right, but it has the potential to turn out very badly, which is an added risk. Yeah, new environment, start playing your offside is a sketchy proposition. 
Yeah, whereas L.A. has still a very good prospect pool. They could make a trade happen. They have all their picks, as far as I know. Yeah, they have all their picks and an extra third this year. And then their blue line right now, Doughty's on the right with Matt Roy, Sean Walker. That's a really good right side. You know, maybe a couple underrated names in there. Sean Dursey can play the left and right. But then their other two left, or their other left defensemen are Michael Anderson, Tobias Bjornfoot, and Alexander Edler. Again, not bad players, but you add Jacob Chichard on there and you look a lot better. Yeah, then all of a sudden you look great. You solved your main problem at that point. Yeah, so to me, that's the team that makes the most sense. The least sense to me is probably St. Louis or the Islanders. I, I was going to say the Islanders. Yeah, like the Islanders just, I, again, I don't know what cap room they have to do that. And also, this team isn't very good. That's the thing. And there's so much like St. Louis isn't young either, so I would not fault anyone for picking them as the weird one here. But like the Islanders are just so old and expensive. Like Chikrin has nothing in common with any of the high leverage pieces on the Islanders. Well, At least St. Louis, you have Cairo and Thomas. Yeah, exactly. And like they'd be year two in a row of giving up a first round pick for a defenseman in their like mid 20s. Yeah. Because they did it with Romanov last year which was insane. So not only are you just getting older every year, but you don't have the first round picks to like, you, you don't have the top prospects coming with first round picks because you're using them on defensemen now. who are like already 24, 25. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's a weird one to me. And then, yeah, like St. Louis, I just, again, I don't really know where their cap space. I Oh, if they trade O'Reilly and Tarasenko, I guess that is a good hunk of cap space, but those uh, two extensions are going to kick in next year as well. So that, that'll make things tougher. Um, Buffalo makes some sense to me as well. Yeah, um, I, I would I would like that for Buffalo if they could swing in. Yeah, I think if you had to choose between him or Timo Meyer, though, you go for a Timo Meyer type player. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because they're two, two of their three most high leverage players are defenders. One of which already plays the left side too. So like I think Timo Myers, the over the top move for the Sabres for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and then yeah, Ottawa again, like it's a risk. If they did it, I would be, you know, like there, there's a possibility to do it, but it doesn't make the most sense. Like I would put Ottawa right in the middle of this list. Yes, that's fair. They're less sense than LA, probably even Edmonton too, but better no. than the Islanders randomly going all out for it. Yeah, if I had to order them, I would go L.A. to me makes the most sense. Flip a corner. I think Edmonton maybe even two. Buffalo's right there. I think you could go either way with those two. Yeah. Um, And then I would go Ottawa four, St. Louis five. Florida. I mean, Florida's, again, Florida's there, but I don't understand what room they have. They're going to have to trade someone just to get Duclair on the roster. I don't know who they're trading to get his salary, even though it's not, like, aggressive or anything. Well, and also Florida doesn't have their first this year. They don't have their second yeah. next year. And then their next first is in a conditional trade, right? Or are all of them gone? Uh, all all the next, next three are gone. Yeah. And so, like, Florida's main chip is Lundell. Yeah, which, like, at what, like I just, I don't think that. They're not, they're not trading Lundell. No. So, and, and yeah, it's good. And they don't even have, like. Like they have no second neck. It's not even like they could do like here's three seconds and a two fourths or whatever and try and load up on picks that way. 
They don't want their second next year or their third this year. Yeah, like, are you really going to be like, here's our fourth round pick in f- half a decade? Like, there's there's no realistic way that gets done. No, so to me, like, if you could somehow make it fit where Arizona's just giving it to you for free, sure. But to me, that one is the least likely. Uh, I'm going to even put them seven just because, like, I don't understand how that trade would ever happen. Yeah, that same with, like, people are talking about them and the Timo Meyer stuff. They're not getting Timo Meyer. No, they can't add to this team. I don't understand what like where people are getting this idea from. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. No, me neither. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That was just another interesting article I saw. I definitely think there'll be – it'll be interesting to see if he moves this deadline or not. I kind of feel like it's a summer thing again, but we'll see. Yeah, I agree with that. But it does seem like there should be some big names with, you know, a Timo Meyer, a Bo Horvath kind. So it should be an exciting deadline, I hope. It sounds like there's more – Decently sized names than usual, at least. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'm concerned about is if there's a lack of movement just due to cap space overall, but we'll see. Teams got pretty, have gotten pretty creative recently. I think that and might be fine. That would be really nice to see teams keep like a Chicago or whatever, be like, yeah, we're going to flip out. Patrick Kane's another name too. We're going to flip Patrick Kane, and like because we have so much in salary, we'll take like two or three other teams' dead contracts or whatever. Which would be awesome mm-hmm. just to get stuff moving. Yeah, and like for a team like Chicago, that'd be super smart. They have the money to do it, and that would kickstart a rebuild. Yeah, and Chicago's not even pretending to try, so I yeah. like that. Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, I think that's pretty good. How about you? Yeah, I think that works. Awesome. I don't even know. I'm knocking wood here, and I get the last two minutes out. I don't even know if I coughed on the mic once there, so. I think you were good. good. I, I, I tried to hit the mute as much as I could. Um Thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. Uh, you can find my other podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast, Last Word on Sems podcast. I teamed up with uh, Hunter Hodes of Locked On Penguins for a dual episode last week. And that I was also on the Steve Dangle Network for uh, Winnipeg Game Over on Saturday night where I highlighted the Sens and Winnipeg games. That was a lot of fun. Uh, oh, that's you- pretty sick. Was yeah. that Brady? Uh, no, it wasn't Brady, actually. He was off for that time, but he's the one who invited me on because he knew he was going to be gone. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you can find all my work at NHL Sends Stuff on Twitter. You can find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. He just posted something to his Substack this week on why the Leafs should be okay treating uh, Matthew Nyes for potentially one of the guys we just talked about. Um, so definitely go check that out. You can find all of Chase's work at theactionnetwork.com. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.